pull up a chair or a sofa or a love seat or an ottoman or, or even just like a cardboard box that you turned over. Just pull up something that your bum will be comfortable sitting in, kick back and relax, and let's have a chat. Ladies and gentlemen, it's me, it's Andrew Fantasia, and this is That's So Wizard. Welcome back. I know it's been a long-ass time since the last episode of That's So Wizard, and there's nobody to blame for that but myself. I take full responsibility. Uh, The holidays came and threw a, a freight train into my path and just kind of brought my whole schedule to its knees um and that was why because of other things i was just unable to get around to doing that so wizard but now here i am excuses aside and we are back it's 2020 uh the year not not the show uh i don't have that kind of journalistic integrity but it is the year 2020 and we have lots to talk about in the world of entertainment so what are we waiting for let's get started right now I want to talk about what there is to look forward to in the year 2020 when it comes to film and TV and entertainment. But before we get there, there's a big main topic that I want to touch on. And that main topic is director's cuts of movies. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Back in like November, basically throughout most of November and early December, you know, I would always be checking the news, uh, getting my notes ready to do that's so wizard, which I never got around to doing back then, so it was an exercise in futility. But uh, as I was periodically checking the news, there was one thing that just kept coming up every single day. I'm talking at least once every day. And that was the quote-unquote Snyder Cut of Justice League. Now, my feelings on the DCEU are a roller coaster. There's some movies that I like. There's some movies that I love. There's some movies that I'm just kind of meh. I don't think I've ever hated a DC movie. I don't think they have uh, ever gotten that bad. Suicide Squad came close, though. But uh, Justice League was one of those movies where a lot of people just call it bad. And I don't think it's bad. I think it's bland, And it's not my favorite DC movie by a long shot, but I don't think it's bad either. I just think it's simply an okay film that deserved to be better than okay because it's the Justice League film. Then along comes all this news and all this hearsay that there exists a Snyder Cut because, you know, there was all that uh, politicking and directorial swapping because Zack Snyder had some family issues to deal with and then they brought in Joss Whedon. And Joss Whedon pretty much, I think he like ghost directed it because I, if I remember right, the credits still say Zack Snyder. So I, I, it was just a hot mess, man. It was just a hot, steamy, bat silhouette shaped mess. And now, you know, fans are clamoring for this so-called Snyder cut of the movie. And what what really just baffles me is... There's so many news stories for this, but nobody is 100% certain, with the exception of, I would imagine, Zack Snyder himself, but nobody's 100% certain that this cut even is real. It's all just speculative. And because I don't like setting myself up for disappointment, I really don't feel like giving in to the excitement of a Snyder cut until I know for sure that it actually exists. Now, I agree with the masses, even though I don't hate Justice League, I agree that movie should have been much better, and it also should have been much longer. If Batman v Superman can be three hours, 
Justice League absolutely deserves to be at least three hours. And Zack Snyder is not afraid to make long movies. He's just one of those directors who makes long movies. He 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 knows. He knows the score. He knows that runtime doesn't matter as long as you have a good story. This whole Snyder Cut kind of deal really seems to keep hitting on the fact that, yeah, this Snyder Cut is a big gargantuan movie. It's, some people say three hours, some people say four hours, some people say in between. It's not, there's so much hearsay that it just becomes a joke at this point. So do I want a Snyder Cut myself, personally? And I think the answer is yes, I want one, because... You all know me. You all know I love when movies are long. And I could never say no to an extended version of a movie that I already like. Justice League is a movie that, despite all its foibles, I already like. So would I want to see a three-slash-three-and-a-half-hour cut that's not underwhelming? Hell yes. Give me that second chance. Let this movie have a chance to stretch its legs, and be great. Now, I'm not saying that the length is automatically going to make it perfect, but I am assuming, because I'm familiar with Zack Snyder's work, and because I'm familiar with my own tastes, I'm assuming that this huge epic cut is going to be more in line of what I wanted out of a Justice League movie than the, you know, little piddly two-hour gray underwhelming okayness that was what we actually got in theaters. Now, back in late November, this whole Snyder Cut thing, this whole spiel that I just said, was planned in my notes to be the main focus of an episode of That's So Wizard that I would have done back then. But I guess it's kind of fortuitous that I didn't get around to doing it, because now there's a part two, ladies and gents. There's a part two that I get to tack on to this little tangent of thought, because we're in January now, and lo and behold, what is happening on Twitter and in the fan base of film. But all of a sudden, people are now talking, whispering about an extended director's cut of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. And it's startling because, again, the similarities between this and and the Justice League situation, at least from my personal standpoint, are eerie. They are so similar that they are eerie. Because The Rise of Skywalker is a movie that I really, really liked. I had so much fun with The Rise of Skywalker, but it's not my favorite Star Wars. It is definitely my least favorite of this new trilogy that we got, and that's strictly because, not so much because of what's in the movie, but because of what's not in the movie. It's what didn't make the cut in Rise of Skywalker that really has me upset, and here's why. The Rise of Skywalker did a good job of putting a capstone on this enormous saga of films. It did a good job. But there's so much to the story that was removed, that was excised for time or for whatever, that it really feels like you can see the seams. This is not a bad movie. I don't hate The Rise of Skywalker. I really, really liked The Rise of Skywalker. But I look at it and I can see the seams. I can see the patchwork of the body that is this movie. I'm of the mind that Star Wars is like an iceberg, okay? Nine-tenths of an iceberg are always underwater. 
And Star Wars, when it comes to the movies, just the motion pictures that you go to the movies and watch, those are the one-tenth of the iceberg that is above the water. Everything else, books, comics, uh, action figures, visual dictionaries, toys, video games, that's all the nine-tenths under the water. That's all the expanded universe, the extra lore that only total dorks like me with way too much time on my hands care about. Those nine-tenths of the iceberg are just extra goodness. Now, with The Rise of Skywalker, that iceberg analogy has never been more apparent. You really feel like you're watching a movie that has pieces missing. Like, Like you're looking at a piece of bread and you can see round teeth marks where it has clearly been bitten and chunks of the bread have been torn away. That's how I feel about The Rise of Skywalker. It's still a delicious piece of bread, and I love it to pieces, but it's not a full piece of bread. And for that, I will always be a little bit disappointed with what we got in The Rise of Skywalker. So then along comes, you know, I'm reading the news, I'm looking up stuff, I'm taking notes, and along comes this sudden rumor maelstrom that there is somewhere out there in the world a J.J. cut, a director's cut, whatever, of... The Rise of Skywalker that is A, longer, and B, better because it fills in a lot of those gaps and it makes it a more cohesive, singular, unbroken piece of delicious bread. Again, I gotta stress, just because a movie is longer doesn't mean it's gonna be good. I don't think It's Chapter 2 is an altogether very good movie. I enjoyed it. But, you know, I don't think it needed to be two hours and 49 minutes long. Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, and Justice League, those could absolutely stand to be two hours and 49 minutes long. But they weren't. When we got news initially that The Rise of Skywalker was going to be the longest Star Wars movie, I think it was slated to be 155 minutes, I was like, boom, right on, as it should be. You have a lot of plot. There's a lot of ground to cover in this film. And then a month later, J.J. dials it back, and he's like, actually, it's not the longest. It's like the third longest. I was like, oh, okay, this, that, you know, that was a red flag for me. I was like, ooh, this, is this going to feel rushed then? And sure enough, when I walked out of that movie, I was like, yeah, that was a very rushed movie, especially the beginning. If you've seen The Rise of Skywalker, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. This is just, it's it's two and a half movies worth of story that were crammed into a single movie that isn't even the longest Star Wars film in the saga. That, to me, is a recipe for disaster. And I think it's a miracle that the movie turned out to be as good as it was, considering how much of a cluster F, you know, like just how much the script feels like it's been torn to shreds and we're left with just the leftovers. Now, this extended J.J. cut is even more ethereal than the Snyder cut in that... Snyder Cut seems to have people who have seen it. Some people in the industry have been claiming, yeah, it's out there, we've seen Zack Snyder's special long cut of of Justice League. But with the J.J. Cut, it really feels like something the fans just made up because they wanted it so badly. So honestly, I don't think the J.J. Cut is real as much as I would like it to be. I would love, I mean, today I'm recording this right now on January 20th, which means we're a month from when Rise of Skywalker actually came out. I would love if Disney announced at some point today, hey, it's been a month, guess what? We have a special extended cut of Rise of Skywalker coming out in theaters now. 
I that would make me so happy. I would drive down to the theater right now. I I wouldn't even waste a moment. Uh, and it's funny because Chris Terrio, the co-writer uh, alongside JJ, the co-writer of, of Star Wars Episode Nine, Chris Terrio himself said, "I had so much planned for this movie. If it was up to me, he said I really would have wanted to stretch this out. I would have made this two movies. I would have gone to Episode Ten essentially." And I agree a thousand percent with that statement, man. I could not agree more. Stretch this out. Give it room to breathe. Give the Palpatine return room to breathe. Give the reveal of Rey's lineage room to breathe. Give all of this more room to breathe. And you know what? Ten is a much nicer round number than nine. But the studio, Disney, Lucasfilm, everybody else... They wanted to stick to a trilogy for no other reason than because George Lucas initially said he wanted all the Star Wars things to be trilogies and they wanted to honor that. And that really, oh man, that's infuriating. I, I gotta admit, that's really infuriating because you, you know, it, it, it's, Disney has felt like they're picking and choosing which of Lucas's, uh, mantras to honor and which to sort of swipe aside. Lucas had ideas for this trilogy and they read them and they were like, no, thank you. And now all of a sudden they're like, but we'll honor this little thing, which turned out to be, in my opinion, to the detriment of these new movies. If they had gone with Chris Terrio's idea, if they had stretched this out to four movies and gone to episode 10, it would have been so much better. But because they stuck to this formula just because it was Lucas's original intention I think that severely severely hurt what could have been spectacular they ended up with a movie that was absolutely good and I I really liked Rise of Skywalker but we could have had something more spectacular if this extended uh, episode 9 story had been allowed to play out had been allowed to breathe so that's what I mean when I say that what's in Star Wars Episode Nine doesn't really bother me as much as what's not in it. Because I will always, till, till my dying day, I'll be on my deathbed and my family will be like, Andrew, do you have any regrets? And I'll be like, you know what? I really regret that Episode Nine wasn't stretched into two movies. And my family will be like, what the hell are you talking about? And then I'll die before I have a chance to explain myself and my family will be really upset with me. And I'm going to blame Disney for that. It's your fault. It's your fault, Disney. So that brings me back to my thesis my points to all of this, which is personally, just when it comes to me, just when it comes to Andrew Fantasia, I will always, always welcome extended cuts of movies. Because here's the thing, I mean, I'm so in love with the extended cuts of the, the Middle Earth movies. All six of them, The Hobbits and The Lord of the Rings. I'm so in love with those extended cuts. I think they are absolutely spectacular. Peter Jackson is the master at that. And if you don't love those extended cuts, those original shorter cuts didn't go anywhere, kids. They are still, you can still buy those, you can still watch those. Those shorter cuts still exist and they are still good movies too. So if you don't want to spend four and a half hours watching Aragorn fight a bunch of orcs, you don't have to. You can watch the slimmed down regular theatrical cut and you're you're not gonna, you know, nobody's getting a bad deal whether you see the shorter one or the longer one. And I just don't understand why other people can't do that. If they released extended cuts of all these new Star Wars films, I would be all over that. They would have all my money and people who don't care for that 
would still be content because they would still have the regular shorter versions and be like, yeah, it's okay. I love these. I don't need longer films. Everybody wins. Nobody loses in this. Absolutely nobody loses. I don't understand why this can't happen. Maybe one day. I don't know. Maybe one day. But I'm going to get myself worked up. What do you guys think? Do you guys prefer uh, extended cuts? Do you want a Snyder cut? Do you want a JJ cut? Do you think they're real? Do you think that's all just BS? I don't know. Talk to us. Talk to us and let me know. But now, it's time to take a look at 2020. Everybody, put on your glasses because we're we're going to need 2020 vision for this next segment. I'm so sorry. I apologize for that joke. That was... No, you know what? I take that back. I don't apologize. You knew what you were getting into when you opened that So Wizard and decided to listen to me today. You knew what you're in for. Yeah, I, I regret nothing. Uh, so 2020 is coming up. Uh, as I do every year at the beginning of the year is I make a list. Uh, I was actually inspired of all things by Kill Bill, my favorite Tarantino movie ever. In Kill Bill, she makes that list of like the five people she's going to kill. Uh, I, I make a list like that, except instead of homicide, um, instead of homicide, my list is about uh, movies that are coming out in the year to come that I would really, really like to watch. Uh, so I want to talk about the movies that I am looking forward to the most in 2020. Um, and I have, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five. I have, I have my top five that I'm looking forward to in 2020. So let's go right ahead and and talk about those, all right? So my number five most anticipated film for the year is Dune. Okay, Dune, this is actually the last movie on my list because I think it's coming out like right at the tail end of December. This is like a super Christmas timey movie. Dune is, um, it's number five for me because I'm hesitant. I'm wary and the reason I'm wary is because the original Dune movie, I thought, was an unmitigated disaster. I could not stand that Dune. As much as I love um, Kyle MacLachlan, as much as I loved the the cast of that movie, like Patrick Stewart's in that, that has a wonderful cast. It is just a hot mess. To me, Dune is everything that is wrong with the sci-fi genre. You know when you meet, like... This doesn't even really happen anymore because we're in such a different day and age, but I'm old-fashioned, so I'm going to dive into some old-fashioned mentalities here for a second. But you know when you go to like uh, a gathering of people, whether it's a party, whether it's school, whatever, and you've got like the cool kids and the nerds, and the, the nerds like uh, like stuff like, like, like Dune and Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and stuff, and the cool kids, they like sports. And when you ask the cool kids, why don't you like sci-fi, they'll... The, the answers they'll give you will be, oh, because in sci-fi, you always get this. And, and the, the bad stuff that they describe is exactly pretty much word for word, beat for beat, what the Dune movie was. It's weird people with weird eyebrows saying weird shit in a made-up language that nobody cares about. And it's played deathly seriously. And it's just, oh, I can't stand the Dune movie. I think it's horrible. Um, I've read the book. The book is much better it's it's got some kinks to iron out though it's a very uh you know imperfect book but i did enjoy it i think though judging with what denny villeneuve has done with blade runner 
I think that this new duology of Dune movies, because he's making two movies, he's not uh, shortening it into one film. Again, he's giving it room to breathe. Are you listening, Disney and Lucasfilm? He's giving it room to breathe. And I haven't even seen anything yet. We just know the cast and that's it. It just, it feels like this one is going to have some love put behind it. It's going to have some modern sensibilities, which the first Dune didn't. The first Dune was not accessible at all. Uh, it would scare people. It scared me away. And I'm a person who loves stuff like this. But even me, I'm watching it. I'm like, man, this is the dorkiest thing I've ever watched. So I think that this new Dune is going to kind of open more doors. You know, it's going to be more welcoming. It's going to let people in. It's still going to be a crazy sci-fi party where people are talking about spice and riding giant worms. But it's going to do it in a way I think that's going to be entertaining for everybody. Not just people who know what a Benny Gesserit is and how to pronounce Kwisatz Haderach. <laughs> it's, oh, I, yeah, I could go for days about how much I didn't like the first Dune movie. But that's why Dune's number five for me. It just feels right. It feels like it's in the right spot in the right time and it's being made by the right people with the right sensibilities. I'm excited for Dune and Dune 2 because it's got room to breathe, baby. That's what it's all about. My fourth most anticipated film of 2020 is going to be Halloween Kills. Halloween is uh, is something that I didn't start watching till much later in my life. Uh, I, I was in college at that point. Uh, by the time I really sat down to watch the Halloween movies. And when I did that, I was instantly smitten with this series. For the most part. Um, it's funny because it's, uh, it's a series that I absolutely love. Even though one of my least favorite movies of all time happens to be Halloween 6. So the series really has some peaks and valleys. But overall, I am obsessed with Halloween. I think it's just a, a really cool series that I love exploring over and over. And they're so simple, but they're so effective. And the 2018 Halloween, which in my head I always call Halloween Returns because I hate the fact that they just called it Halloween again. I think that's stupid. But Halloween Returns, as I like to call it, was pretty damn good. Not amazing, but pretty damn good. And it set the stage for something special. Now we have two Halloween movies back to back. Filmed back to back, released back to back. We got Halloween Kills, and then next year... We got Halloween Ends. And this is special to me because, again, I like long-form storytelling and I like when big stories are given room to breathe. Funny how that keeps coming up, right? Halloween, like, it, it's it's so unprecedented for a slasher film to let itself breathe like this. To be like, hey, we're making two in a row. Just try and stop us. That is unheard of. Halloween 5 ended on a big, enormous cliffhanger that got me really excited. But when Halloween 6 came out, it was six years later. The resolution of that cliffhanger was a pile of garbage. It was a, an afterthought. It was thrown away as if it was nothing. And I couldn't have been more disappointed with the way that turned out. This is the way long-form storytelling should be. Where the same group of people make the same story and continue it and see it through to its conclusion. Halloween 2018, really, uh, I wasn't a fan of how ambiguous the ending was. Because I, I, I thought it was either going to be a very clear cut, 
period. This is ending. It's over. The story's done. Or a very clear-cut cliffhanger where it's like, ooh, no, there's more to come. Stay tuned next year. But it ended with just a typical run-of-the-mill, ooh, maybe it's over and maybe it's not. Ooh, Halloween. And I don't like that. I don't like that ambiguity because at this point, you know, that's fine for 1978, but it's 2018. Like, just grow a pair and tell us whether or not the story's ending. That, that I can't put it any, any simpler than that. So the fact that they, they have grown that proverbial pair and said, look, we got this one coming out this year. We got Halloween Kills. It's going to end in a big cliffhanger. Come back next October 2021 and you get the finale of the series. Boom! That's how you do it. That's why I'm excited. That's why it's my fourth most anticipated film of the year. Bring it on, Halloween Kills. I, I'm calling it right now. Halloween Kills is going to be in my top three favorite Halloween movies ever when all is said and done. I'm calling it right now. I hope I'm right. Number three. My third most anticipated movie of 2020 is going to be Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Tenet just has that Nolan charm to it that I can't even really put to words, but you watch that trailer and it's just, you know, beautifully shot, stark environments, a bunch of really good actors running around in suits, carrying guns and looking serious, and some kind of weird sci-fi twist wrapping it all up like a bow on top of a Christmas present. That's Christopher Nolan at this point. I mean, I just described Tenet, but I also just kind of described Inception and Interstellar and The Prestige and Memento. Like, it's all it's all good. It's all very Nolan-y. Tenet is it's keeping true to Nolan form a complete question mark. We know nothing really about the plot. We know nothing uh, about the characters or the story. It's really just hush-hush and hoosh-hoosh at this point. And I kind of like my Nolan that way. I can't wait to see what he does with this time travely looking thing that we're getting. I think it's only fair at this point. Christopher Nolan has dived into the dream world. Uh, he and his brother have given us uh, the world of artificial intelligence uh, and, and what that means in shows like Westworld and Person of Interest. But he hasn't tackled time travel yet. And it seems like it's a perfect fit for him. Even though Interstellar kind of is time travel. Like it, it's not, you know, it, it's it's time travel the astronaut way. It's like, go to this moon and the moon is so far away that it's like five years have passed. That, that To me, that's not time travel. That's science. <laughs> time travel to me is back to the future. It's lost. It's, it's a little bit of magic thrown in there. And Tenet looks like it might be that. It might be the little spark of magic. I think that's what was missing for me from Interstellar. I loved Interstellar, but... It was. It didn't hit as hard as Inception did. And I think the reason was because Inception had a little bit of magic to it. In that we never understood why or how that little briefcase dream machine came to be. You know, they didn't try to sit back with science and say, here's how this dream machine works. It was just kind of a magical little question mark. And I think that Tenet's going to be the same thing because there's time travel involved. And I can't wait to see what they do with that. I know we're getting no any dialogue. So it means the characters are going to be very cold. And uh, they're just going to analyze things a lot and talk about destiny and what it means to be human. Uh, but the Nolan dialogue 
is is uh, the, the story and the, and the world that he's going to give us is going to be worth sitting through the dialogue. So that's why I can't wait for Tenet. I can't wait to see what he has in store for us. And that's why it's my third most anticipated. But it's not my second. It's not my second. My second most anticipated is coming up fairly soon. It's a little movie called James Bond 007 No Time to Die. I'm a very big James Bond fan. Uh, My dad got me hooked on them ever since I was little. He loved James Bond. And uh, this is the first time... uh, He he passed away a few years ago, my father. And this will be the first James Bond movie to come out since his passing. So to me, it's special. And it's also sort of doubly special because it's our last Bond film with Daniel Craig. And because Daniel Craig is the only Bond who really sort of tried to carry a serialized storyline from start to finish. The other Bonds were just very episodic. Um, It's even more special because of that. Like, this feels like the series finale of this James Bond show that we've been getting since 2005. Or 2006 or whenever Casino Royale came out. Um, No Time to Die looks phenomenal. It's got great people behind it. It's got great power like Phoebe Waller-Bridge putting some oomph into the script because... Spectre, baby, Spectre, your script was lacking. Uh, so I'm really glad that uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge came around to punch up the No Time to Die script. There are rumors. I have no idea how true they are. It's purely hearsay right now. But there are rumors that No Time to Die is going to be the longest-running Bond film with a runtime, again, speculated runtime of 2 hours and 54 minutes. You know what that sounds like? You know what that sounds like? It sounds like room to breathe. I could not be happier. If that's true. If that's true, I'm not setting my heart and soul on it because I don't want to be disappointed. Um, But I want that to be true. I really do. And I'm really uh, just looking forward to seeing the end of the Craig era. The the end of, of a big milestone for Bond because this will be his 25th movie. This is Bond 25. And I'm just looking forward to sort of putting a capstone on this uh, this chapter of my life because James Bond has been a part of my life uh, growing up with it, with my dad. So it's going to be really nice and really bittersweet to see Bond hit this point and then go off into an unknown future because we don't know what the future holds for the James Bond franchise. We just know Craig Mr. Daniel Craig will not be a part of it, and his story will end in No Time to Die. So that's going to be a big one. That is going to absolutely be a big one for me, but it's not the biggest. No, no, it's not the biggest. It's it's close. But just by an inch, number one in the year of our Lord, 2020, the number one film that I am looking forward to more than anything else, even more than No Time to Die, just by a little bit, would be a little independent movie called Ghostbusters Afterlife. Ghostbusters is... um, I'm kind of obsessed with the Ghostbusters movies, but not in the way that I think most people are. I think most people who are genuinely fans of Ghostbusters, they're just like, yeah, I love this movie. I love Ghostbusters. I'm obsessed with it. I know it all off my heart and everything. Um, I am more obsessed with it because not even so much of the movie itself which is fine i love it 
but I'm obsessed with it because it represents my favorite period of time of film to a T. It is the epitome of a certain period of film. And to me, that is the, the high 80s. And what I mean by the high 80s is just that point in the 1980s where Hollywood felt like it was firing on all cylinders and it just kept cranking out beautiful franchise gems that have lasted the test of time. It kept giving us gold. It gave us Ghostbusters. It gave us Indiana Jones, Terminator, The Goonies, Gremlins. It, like, it, it was nuts. It was nuts how much good stuff we got in the high 80s. And for me, Ghostbusters is the most, um, it, it's the epitome of that because it's just, it's not only a great high 80s film, but it's steeped in 80s culture. It came out in June 1984, so it's pretty much right there in the center of the decade itself. And it takes place in New York City. So the culture of the world inside Ghostbusters is a very 1980s culture. People are smoking in the lobbies of a hotel. People are walking down the street past, you know, boxy, ugly 80s cars. It's, just, it's like absolutely steeped in the culture of the 1980s. So for me... I'm obsessed with it, and with Ghostbusters 2, to a slightly lesser extent, because they're both high 80s concept films that are also wrapped up in the tinfoil that is 1980s America. And I adore it for that. I absolutely adore it for that. Now, obviously, Ghostbusters Afterlife is not an 80s movie. It is very much a 2020 movie. And it takes place in modern day, and it doesn't even take place in New York City. It takes place out in the Midwest somewhere. But... It's carrying on that story. It's carrying on the story that we left off with in 1989. Um, the 2016 Paul Feig Ghostbusters, I didn't hate it. I actually own the Blu-ray. I think it's a very, very messy movie and not very well done, but I didn't hate it. And I love Ghostbusters so much that I'm willing to overlook its faults and just watch it as a fun Ghostbusters movie. Because at the time, I thought that was all I was getting. But I'm so glad Ghostbusters Afterlife, a.k.a. Ghostbusters 3, whatever you want to call it, I'm so glad it's finally going to exist. Because I have been of the mind for years now. And I could, you know, this could be a whole other podcast to itself because I could write essays about this. But to put a very, uh, to make a very long story short, I'm of the mind that the only reason people hate on Ghostbusters 2. The only reason people say Ghostbusters 2 sucks is because we spent so long thinking that that was all we were ever going to get. I firmly believe that if that franchise had continued, if we had gotten like four Ghostbusters movies throughout the 80s and early 90s, people would not hate Ghostbusters 2. I guarantee. But again, that's a whole topic for a whole different day. Needless to say, I can't wait for Ghostbusters Afterlife. It looks like they are really going to honor the old story with care. And I think, again, it's going to be a very bittersweet experience for me because it's taking this franchise that, for me, has always lived in this bubble of the 1980s, both in the type of movie it is and the decade in which it's set, and expand it. And that's going to be scary, and it's going to be different, but it's going to be awesome, and I can't wait to see what they do with that. So Ghostbusters Afterlife, I'm coming for you. I'm coming with open arms, baby. I'm going to give you a great big hug and I'm going to sit there with a bag full of donut holes because you're 
commercial, your trailer had donut holes, which here in Canada we call Timbits, by the way. Fun fact. Uh, but it, it, you uh, you had a big plate of donut holes in your trailer, and uh, now I crave donut holes every time I watch your trailer, so thanks for that. Uh, but I can't wait. I can't wait to see what this movie has in store, and I can't wait to see the franchise potential, because, remember, this is not set in New York. It's set in the Midwest. But I have a feeling, I have a gut feeling, that... This movie, let, let's say there's a franchise that spins out of it. Let's say Ghostbusters Afterlife is so successful that it gets two sequels, that we get this trilogy of new Ghostbusters movies. I can guarantee you, I can smell it in the air already, that the second movie will feature these new characters going to New York and going through the old firehouse and finding out more and, and like, you know finding more secrets that Egon left behind and all of that. Because it just, it looks like that's what's happening. It's just happening in the Midwest. But that just seems like the next logical step. You have them solve a problem here and become Ghostbusters here in the Midwest. Then in part two, you take them to where it all began and you start exploring the old world of the Ghostbusters again. Ah, I'm more excited for that than I am for this. I'm more more excited for a movie that doesn't even exist yet. Uh, But that's where my money is. That's what I think we're going to see. And that's so wizard. Uh, that's how I chose to say this episode's over. I've never done that before. That's not like a thing we do here. Uh, but hey, maybe it will be. That's been That's So Wizard. I've been Andrew Fantasia. Thank you so much for listening. You guys have been awesome. And I promise you, you won't have to wait three months for the next episode. I promise you. That was just a freak of nature. It was a freak of scheduling. And it shan't happen again. Thanks for listening to That's So Wizard, everybody. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Rebel Scum Podcast Network for lots more shows like this. We have Infinity Rewatch, where myself and Ryan J. Whitehead, we rewatch the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe and just talk about how gosh darn great it is. Then, of course, we have all our Star Wars content, which we're known for on the channel. If you like Star Wars, you have come to the right place. I will see you all next time. And by see, I mean talk to, because we can't see each other. Unless you've got a camera in my house, in which case, hi, I'm waving at the screen as we speak. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you soon.